0: Welcome back to another edition of the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Austin, Texas, joined by Yin-Yin Lee in Evanston, Illinois. Yin-Yin, how are you? I know you had a tough weekend after you were denied a 200 IM showdown between Kate Douglas and Summer McIntosh in Knoxville. How you holding yeah, up, bud?
1: I, I was mourning over that. And the fact that it's like negative degrees out is not helping. <laughs> Like when I go outside, I can feel my eyelashes freezing. That's how bad it is.
0: Yeah, that is that is not good. Yeah, it's uh it's cold. So everyone stay inside and listen to the swim swim breakdown. Yeah, <sighs> that's that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, even I mean, in Austin, it's like, I think it's in the teens, which for Texas is kind of like being in the <laughs> negatives in illinois you know we're all freaking out uh i think there's a significant chance we lose power so oh, no. why? If, uh, is it snowing it's not snowing texas is just not set oh. up for the cold oh. <laughs> and uh when it gets cold stuff freezes and breaks and anywho if my lights go out that's why but Let's talk about Knoxville. Uh, we didn't get to see the Macintosh Douglas showdown in the two IM as we had predicted and we're looking forward to, but there were a lot of good showdowns, even in that 200 IM. And there was a ton of good racing. Surprisingly, mostly on the last night when I left, which I was disappointed at, but, uh, Yin Yin, we'll start with you. What were your biggest takeaways, surprises, highlights from this Knoxville pro swim?
1: Well, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that Summer McIntosh is still a heavy favorite. Not not heavy favorite, but decent favorite. In the 200 IM, she went 207.15, which is faster than what one at Worlds. And the fact that she's just throwing it down, throwing this time down at this Pro Series meet really implicates that there are big things coming her way in this event last year around this time she was like a 208 flat now she's she's nearly a second faster than that so honestly I don't think there's anyone in the world that has that has the ability to be so dominant in back fly and free the way she is and I think that's that's really gonna Be what propels her. Maybe Kate Douglas is the only one that can match her on the freestyle leg, but she—I don't think she's as—we haven't seen her be as proficient with like balancing the opening half and the closing half of her races. And obviously, backstroke still a problem there. Her backstroke I think is worse than Summer McIntosh's breaststroke. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Kate Douglas and the 200 breasts, obviously very fast, but it's also for me. It felt like a long time coming because I feel she's been knocking on the door of that 200, 2- 221 low threshold since 2022. She's been kind of stuck there, but this was like her big breakthrough. And I, I'm I'm curious to see if she can hold up in bigger championship meets. And I think if Evagnia Chuknova can't compete. She probably is the favorite in Paris because she's considerably faster than Tatiana Schumacher has been since Tokyo. So, those were my two biggest takeaways. There wasn't much other stuff going on at this meet. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were definitely the big swims. Uh, before I get into my highlights, yeah, I want to mention a couple things about yours. Alex Walsh, 207 eight in that same 200 im uh sorry 207 six jesus yeah. uh faster than she was at worlds this summer so great swim for her you know really uh took it to summer was ahead at the 150 by you know a few 100s but as you said for former world record holder in the 400 free probably gonna be pretty hard to beat on that last 50 in the 200 im um, so yeah, it was, she has certainly asserted herself. And then in that women's 200 breast to from Kate Douglas for a new American record, breaking Rebecca Sony's 10 year old, sorry. 12 year old record um, in that event, which is pretty insane. I, I think, I feel like Kate was definitely due for a big time drop. I didn't see this coming and certainly not in January. Um, that was, that's, that's a, that's just a really good swim. And I think bodes very well for what we're going to see in Doha from her. Um, I think she said at the pro at this past weekend, she's entered in five individual events planning on trying to swim all five of them in Doha. And I think she had also mentioned in a previous interview that, relays will not be a priority and or not happening at all for her. I don't know if that's the case for the other females on the roster. There are only five. Uh, But you know, for her to get the chance to only focus on individual events and swim all five, I feel like that could be pretty cool and lead to maybe a, a really unique outcome.
1: Yeah, I mean, for her, Doha is really just another pro swim meet or US Open type of meet with the swimming a lot of events, not doing relays. It's just with the addition of semifinals and having all that good international competition. So so to her, this meet is sort of just maybe a pro meet, but a few steps up. So that that will be interesting to see.
0: Agreed. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm getting more and more excited for the Doha World Championships, not because I think it's going to be, you know, at at the level of another world championships, but just because we're going to see some really interesting things that maybe we haven't seen before in swimming. And it'll give a lot of people who are there good opportunities to throw down some really fast times in -hmm. February, which we're not used to seeing except for conference championships
1: yeah but those Um, are in the bathtub pool
0: (laughs) exactly yeah we'll get to see long course february is going to be nuts is what i'm trying to say long course short course we got it all coming um yeah other than that the the um the pro swim in knoxville time wise was not anything crazy i think for me my biggest takeaway this is not groundbreaking but but katie ledecky's emphasis um i guess more pointed emphasis on the 800 and the 1500 free we saw her throw down 1538 in the mile and 8149 in the 800 both of which are really great in season times but then she was 403 in the 400 free um pointedly not where she is normally at this time in the season um and then she swam the 400 IM which, uh, she won in a time that was, oh, I'm sorry. She got second next to Tennessee's Tessa Plucha. She was 444. So nothing crazy there. And then didn't even swim the 200 free. Um, and she said in her post-race interview that she's, she's focused on the eight and the 15. Um, she would like to do something really special there in Paris. Um, and not to say in a Katie Ledecky way where it's kind of an umbrella statement. Like she's like, I'm still focused on the 200. I'm still doing work in the 200 free for the relay. I'm still doing work for the 400 free, but for her her emphasis is really on the eight and the 15. And again, I don't think this is groundbreaking, but it was really interesting for me to hear her say that. I don't, I don't know if she has said that before. It totally makes sense. These are her, these are the events where she's, for way, way ahead of the world, <clears throat> obviously in the 400 free summer and Ariane Titmus have both caught her. Uh and we've we've got other women who are gaining ground in that regard. But um you can see even in season now that it looks like she's putting a lot of work into those longer events, um, which is you know, making her shorter events not as good in season, but it could be really exciting to see what she's got come olympic trials and the paris olympics in those longer events
1: yeah and i think that's the smart decision for her at this point in her career because she's not going to be Oriente miss she's not going to meet pete summer mcintosh but in the 18 and 1500 there is no one remotely close to her and she's getting she's getting better and better in those events since tokyo and, I, and not getting better and better in the 200 or the 400. So really, I think that's, that totally makes sense for her and her career. I'm really excited to see what she has in store for Paris. And it's something that I think we've all known about Ledecki, but with her emphasis on the distance events. But this is just the first time she's really said it, verbally confirmed it
0: yeah i mean i think in the past you know even going back to the last season you know i think she was still gunning for the 400 um in terms of <clears throat> she certainly won a medal and um i think you know we all thought there's a chance ledecky could win this you know like it was in the wheelhouse of possibilities i think but i don't think that's I think that chance is smaller now. And I think she kind of has come to terms with that and said, I'm going to put my eggs in the the distance basket um, heading into this Olympic games, which Mm -hmm. I think is smart. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing from just being at the meet was it's really cool when the, the, when the host of a pro swim is also the pool of a college team, because every time tennis, a Tennessee athlete won an event, the, the whole Tennessee team would just erupt and, uh, the whole Tennessee crowd would join in with them. And so super cool to have that kind of an environment at a pro swim where you really have a home crowd advantage and the Tennessee athletes kind of thrive on that. And they were swimming quite well. And I think we saw a lot more Tennessee wins than we normally would have, just because they were kind of feeding off that energy. So just kind of a cool note of, of actually being there and getting to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right. And speaking of college swimming, we had some dual meets that, uh, had some really interesting things. We'll start off with the Stanford Pacific mitten where we saw Andre Minikov, Ron Polonsky and Zaire Fawn all back in the pool for the Cardinal. Uh, Last October, Stanford head coach Dan Schimmel said that Minakov, Polanski, and Fawn were redshirting the fall semester with the potential to compete during the winter quarter, and the trio's return represents a massive boost for the Cardinal. As Minakov and Polanski combined for 34.5 of their 43.5 individual swimming points at last year's NC2A champs. Yin uh, Yin, what do you what do you make of? Fawn, Polanski, and Minikov all coming back for Stanford, especially heading into championship season with Pac-12s and NCs?
1: I mean, I think it's great for Stanford, definitely a huge boost. I think a lot of Stanford's top 10 chances were hinging on whether Minikov would come back because he's such an important part to the team, both individually and on relays. And I think especially in the context of their situation right now with swimmers like Rex Mauer and Henry McFadden going personal best and doing really well. That this isn't a position that Stanford is always in. But just to have their midseason success combined with some of their best swimmers who we weren't really sure would be here for the end of the NCA season also coming to compete, I think this makes for a really good Stanford team that I think is a top 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 at top ten, maybe top top seven or eight team in the NCAA.
0: Yeah, I I'm so I will actually be at the Stanford ASU duel on Friday, uh, and I would love to talk to these three men, um, fingers crossed, just to get their perspective on what went into this decision for each of them, because it is we see this from other swimmers on other college teams, too, where They take the fall semester off from classes during an Olympic year just to kind of focus on the training and and building that base. Um, So, I'm curious if that was their line of thinking or it might have been something else. You know, I think we reported that Minnikov was in the transfer portal and possibly looking at other schools. You know, he's also in the unique situation where he's Russian, and so he might not even get to compete at the Olympic Games. And so like college competition might be kind of all he's got aside from maybe like a Russian nationals or a Russian long course meet where he gets to show what he's got in that pool. I would be interested to see what went into this decision for all of them. And if they had planned from the start to come back for this winter term or, you know, the the second semester of of swimming and competition, or if that was kind of a game time decision for any of them or all of them come December or January. Uh, But obviously for Stanford, yeah, they are in a much better position scoring wise heading into PAC 12s and NCs with these three back. And like you said, especially combined with where the team is at now and kind of the, the, the youngsters that looked really good at midseason. I mean, yeah, go Cardinal, I'm sure they are happy to have these additions, um, but kind of a really interesting situation. And uh, I would love to learn more about that. But, you know, I, I think all three of them kind of came in. It was a weird meet where they mostly swam one fifties and fifties of stroke. So we didn't really get to see a ton of, of, of actual events, but it seems like all three of these athletes kind of, slotted in seamlessly and didn't really miss a beat. Um, They all looked strong in the events that they did swim. So it also, not only are they returning, but they seem to be on form as well, which is obviously uh, a positive for Stanford.
1: Yeah, Coleman, like what you said about Minikov, I'm not really sure about Polanski and Fawn, but I think Minikov made it clear In the fall that a lot of his decisions were hinging on the fact on whether Russia would be allowed to compete at the Olympics or not. And I think right now, as we're getting closer and closer to Paris, and I I still don't think we have a clear answer. I think definitely what you said about how college swimming might be the only thing for him. And he's going to want to take advantage of that. So I definitely can understand why he came back.
0: Yeah, and <clears throat> so I guess hopefully we'll get to see um, what what he's got in in the bathtub at least. But you know, as a defending sorry, not defending, but as a prior NC two A champion in the hundred fly, hopefully we get to see some good things out of him and, and the rest of the guys who return for Stanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the Virginia Virginia Tech dual meet. Uh, We saw some pretty good things out of the UVA women. Um, As as per usual, even though they were without a couple of their best swimmers, I I believe Ella Nelson and Alex Walsh and there's a third one I'm forgetting, um, all stayed in Knoxville rather than left Knoxville a day early to go compete at Virginia Tech. Um, But... We still, you know, saw a lot of fast swimming, including Gretchen Walsh throwing down the third fastest 50 fly split of all time in 21-9. Uh, and then on the men's side, Virginia Tech uh, took the meet handily, 191-108. to 108. Todd, I was talking to Todd DeSorbo in Knoxville, and he said that the Virginia Tech men have not lost a home conference dual meet since 2012 which is kind of insane to me uh and i don't first for a little bit of reference i don't think nc state has had a dual meet at virginia tech in quite a while maybe somewhere in the ballpark of eight to ten years however that's a pretty crazy statistic to to have not lost a home dual meet um in like over a, well over a decade but <laughs> yin yin uh give me your thoughts on this on this dual meet
1: i'm very curious as to why gretchen walsh left the pro swim series to race at this meet because i think she's an olympic contender it's an olympic year and the it was the, the 50 free was going on then and I'm just curious as to why she decided to come back and swim at college meet where she was swimming off events. Like, she swam breaststroke. Actually, no, she did. She, yeah, she swam the 100 breast and a relay. Like, I want to know what what went into her decision, why she thought doing that would be more beneficial than racing the pro swim series at um, in long course. I'm not criticizing her decision. I'm just curious, but... I think my the thing that stood out to me the most was Gretchen Walsh's fifty nine seven, a hundred breast because that sort of proves that she can do it all in yards, even breaststroke. And I'm pretty sure so she has a forty eight two, one hundred back fifty nine seven a hundred breast, forty eight two I believe in the a hundred fly and then a. Forty-five, six in the one hundred free. And last year, I talked about how K. Douglas's four, four strokes for a for a hundred stroke events added up was faster than almost any other team's medley relay. And I think Gretchen Walsh has an even faster add up right now. So that that's pretty crazy.
0: I think someone in the comments mentioned that if you take that or that 48 to 100 fly from Gretchen, that she's now one 100th faster than Kate. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, which is, it's like, it's crazy that the two fastest women in history in that category, even though it's kind of like a a nonsense category are from the same school. But that's kind of the reputation that the UVA women have built at this point. Um, I, I was talking again, I was talking to coach Desorbo in Knoxville. And so the reason that the three women who stayed behind in Knoxville did stay behind was that their best events were, oh. um, that day. So for Ellen Nelson, it was the 200 breast, um, for, uh, Alex Walsh. It was the two IM, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the th- Abby Harder of UVA also mm-hmm. had the two IM that's, that was the third woman. Um, but then uh, the rest of them, I think, I, I think, uh, coach DeSorbo as well as the other athletes just kind of wanted them to get some long course reps in. I think Alec, sorry, Gretchen Walsh specifically, she had a good hundred free. She had a good hundred fly, um, specifically for the 50 free, I'm guessing they can work on that and practice or, or they weren't, as worried about her getting race reps in for that 50 free. Um, and I think the college season is still important. Obviously it is an Olympic season, but I think they also have an emphasis on the college season. And so, um, yeah, again, some of those athletes stayed in Knoxville and then some went to the Virginia tech meet having already gotten some long course racing in. Um, so I think that's why I don't, we didn't talk about Gretchen specifically, but I'm guessing you know, she, she got some long course races in, she did well, you know, 56, seven to win the hundred fly. And then she was, uh, 53, six second place in the hundred free next mm-hmm. to Kate. So I'm guessing, you know, they're like, nah, yeah, you got some good long course in. let's go swim a hundred breast short course.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely easier said than done, but it, to me, it just feels like Gretchen Walsh could probably pop a fast, yard swim at any time. So it doesn't really matter what kind of reps she gets at this Virginia Tech meet, but that's probably not true. Definitely the college season is still important that that sort of practice. And from these little definitely does help, but it's just to me and to the casual on it just seems like she, she can do it whenever.
0: Ag- agreed. Yeah. I mean, especially on the Virginia women team, period, it seems like they can just swim fast whenever. And I also think that's part of Todd DeSorbo's philosophy. It was interesting, um, talking to him and I actually have an interview of him with him, him talking about this, that will go up in a day or two. But I asked him like, what your goal, what his goal was for the UVA team coming out of winter training. And he said, I want winter training. I want them coming out of winter training fast. Like, I don't want them broken down. This isn't like a huge training block for them. I want them working on their speed and not only maintaining speed through winter training, but getting faster through winter training. So by the end of it, they they they're swimming faster than they were at the beginning of it, Mm -hmm. Um, which is like pretty opposite of the traditional. All right. Two weeks of hell. And breaking you down and long hard practices, and then we're, we're coming out of that, that's when we start working on speed and details and kind of coming down for the season. So, yeah, again, way different philosophy, but obviously it, it, it's it's working um, it's working for UVA. All right. Uh, the last little bit on college swimming, um, Daniel deal, who was the number one, number one or number two recruit in the men's boys class of 2024. Number two, number, two.
1: Winkler's number
0: one. Okay. I knew they were both NC state guys, but so uh, they both committed to NC state. Daniel deal actually finished high school early this winter and is now training at NC state. Um, he's not competing for them, um, but just leading up to Olympic trials, um, he will be, you know, training, training in his new home of Raleigh, which I think is a great decision for him. I think he's from a smaller town. He trains, he, he doesn't have many training partners, um, in his six lane, 25 yard YMCA pool that he trains in. Um, I think that's really a cool opportunity on both sides, but. I'm also a little surprised that, uh, when we're looking at classes of the future, we, we obviously look at UVA and Thomas Heilman and Maximus Williamson committing there. But I feel like we haven't talked too much about this class, this, this NC state 2024 class and and the potential that they could have within the NCAA. Um, does this change your feelings about that NC State men's class knowing that Deal is has an extra semester of wolfpack training under his belt.
1: Um I don't think it changes my opinion on the NC State class in short course yards because I know they're gonna be good no matter what. But to me, it sort of changes my view on Daniel Deal and his long course potential because he has he is a contender already right now in the 200 back he could potentially make the olympic team he's also 53 low in the 100 back so definitely he has two really good shots and i think his training and deciding to graduate high school early to come to nc state shows that he's serious about this he's all in on it and he wants to have the resources to be successful and maximize his chances. So I think definitely keep, we should keep on, keep be on the lookout for that, especially in that 200 back where I feel like the second spot behind Ryan Murphy is still wide open. I know Justin Lasko got it last year, but we've got Daniel Deal who's going all in. Jack Aikens is taking an Olympic red shirt to focus on and his best shots also at that second 200 back spot. So definitely it just like shows that there's a lot of people who are really competing to get that those backstroke spots and deals now one of them. And it, yeah.
0: Agreed. Um, it's also kind of funny, just looking at that second men's 200 back spot over the last eight years. Um, obviously we had Jacob Pebley in 2016, I don't really remember <laughs> who the next few were. Oh, um,
1: I know Bryce Mefford was one of them.
0: So Bryce Mefford was Tokyo in 21, right? Yeah. But since then, it's like we Bryce Mefford, uh, 21, uh, Shane Casas in 22, Destin Lasco in 23. So it's like there's kind of a lot of turnover that's happened uh, with that spot. And and like you said, we now have quite a few contenders We've got Destin Lasko, Jack Aikens, Daniel Deal, all kind of up there as like real legitimate shots. And it's obviously Olympic trials is about who can do it on the day. And I think we've, we've kind of covered that any of those guys could get it done on that day. Um, they have a real shot. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Deal adjusts to new training. Um, again, obviously, his training seems to have worked for him up to this point um, in his hometown. And <clears throat> I, I think going to a new training environment having kind of never he, he's been in that training environment, I believe, at least for the past four years. And so going to a brand new system, um, I'm hoping it works for him, obviously, but you know, it can take some time to adjust. And uh, his results in Knoxville were solid. He was 159, one in the 200 back, which netted him a second place finish. And then he was 55, two in the hundred back. So like not insane, but those seem pretty good times for January. Um, again, having only been in Raleigh, I'm guessing for less than a month or maybe a month. So, uh, yeah, I think I, 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 again, I hope it works for deal. I don't have much more to say because um, I don't really know the situation. Uh, we had requested an interview with him, but didn't that didn't end up working out in Knoxville. So hopefully we can talk to him soon and just see how it how how it, it's going for him. But I'm a little I'm just also a little surprised we haven't talked about that class for NC State a little more because uh, I think the assumption has been that after this year, Leon Marchand may not be in the ncaa anymore um and if nc state is getting a major men's class like that then i feel like that could maybe shift the power dynamic moving forward in the next few seasons uh on the men's side and we've also seen nc state get classes of men like this before and not to say they haven't panned out because they absolutely have but i think it's just hard to (laughs) hard to get the depth Um, especially in the last five years to challenge a men's program like Texas or Cal. Um, And so I think it would be nice to see some parity, especially with the top two recruits in a men's class going to the same school, which we've seen a few other times before, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what NC state does with these, with these guys heading into the next few seasons is all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, Last year's freshman class for NC State, part of the reason why they didn't pan out was because of injuries. Michael Cotter got hurt and Quinton McCarty was also hurt, but you saw Quinton McCarty do some really good things in uh, during mid-seasons, and also he went 21-9 at the U.S. Open, so we're definitely seeing him live up to his potential. Michael Cotter, I don't really know what's going on with him. I know last year he went suffered a scooter injury but he hasn't done great this year but definitely part of the reason why the class last year didn't pan out was because of injuries not because the swimmers were slow or something
0: yeah which i think you know injuries are always a factor in sports or in athletics um so yeah hopefully we'll get to see uh Hopefully, we get to see that class pan out um, in, mm. in a cool way. But all right, that's our news for the week. <laughs> now we're moving on to uh, some fun and pretty unserious Sink or Swims. First up today on Sink or Swim, Swim Swam Pulse last week was what is the greatest Phelps Lochte showdown? A resounding 55.2% said the 200 IM for 2011 Worlds. Yin-Yin, are you sinking or swimming this result that that 200 IM was in fact the best Phelps-Lokhti showdown of all time?
1: I am going to swim it. Is there really another option? (laughs) Like when I think of Phelps and Lochte, that's what I think of that exact race. Just the amount of star power the times being thrown down seal the top two performances ever you're not gonna beat that
0: it's yeah i mean it's it's true and uh i voted for that as well but i'm just gonna sink it for this show to make the case for another race which Ooh. was at the same meet but the the 200 free uh at the at the 2011 worlds was also a race i really loved i remember specifically we got to got get out of practice early or like stop the set so that we could get out and watch that race live and you had phelps lochte park juan paul biederman oh and yannick aniel who were all contenders in that race um and then you had Lockty throwing down a massive 144-4, Phelps in second at 144-7. It wasn't necessarily the marquee Phelps Lockty showdown, but it was such a great race where America triumphed one and two, but it wasn't a set in stone thing like the 200 IM. And so for me, it was so cool to see Phelps and Lockty not only duke it out with each other, but with the rest of the world and prevail one, two. I think that was one of my favorite Phelps Lochte moments because not only did they fight each other, but they got to beat the rest of the world. So,
1: well, then it's not a Phelps Lochte moment. Well, then you're not liking it because it's a Phelps Lochte moment. You're liking it because it's Phelps Lochte and everyone else. So You're right.
0: I was just making the case for another race.
1: I'm trying to be contrarian again. <laughs>
0: All right, next up on Sink or Swim, Chalmers, Mr. Kyle Chalmers, is set to swim the 800 free once again at the South States Championships. He swam it last year at this meet and went an 822.93. I'm curious if you think he can take a good chunk of time off of that swim and go 814.97. Which is what Katie Ledecky swam in the 800 free this past weekend in Knoxville.
1: You know what this is reminding me of? This is reminding me of when we were arguing about whether Katie Ledecky could beat Caleb Dressel in 800 free. <laughs> and what people... was that an 800? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was an 800.
0: Oh, um, that seems like a dumb argument now. Yeah, like obviously, yeah, Katie no. would win. <laughs> Yeah,
1: Yeah. Some people said Dressel would win. Apparently, I remember Mel saying Dressel no would way. win. Like, I, I, I heard about it on some podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get that. Of course, Katie would win that. Yeah, maybe um, we should
0: bring that argument back, though. <laughs> get like um, Mel and Braden on.
1: It's yeah, a four-way
0: but argument I, of...
1: I'm going to sink it. Because no matter how good of a swimmer you are, going... 814 in the 800 free that's not something that you just do if you're not (laughs) seasoned in distance swimming and kyle palmer obviously is not um i could see him going like 819 818 i'm pretty sure he was he went eight he went 820 the last time he swam this right
0: 822
1: 822 okay yeah I can see him going like 8, 818, 819, but going 814 after going 822 like just a year ago and not really training for the event, I, I don't see it happening. No, I'm, I'm going to make it.
0: Yeah, I just threw this one in here for fun, but I, I definitely think that's a sink. Uh, and I'll go one step further. I think if he did go eight fourteen nine, that would be a bad sign like he doesn't he doesn't want to be going that he doesn't want to be doing that well in an event that long five <laughs> months out from the olympics you know or, or six months out from the olympics like maybe like in september or october if he had been like throwing down some massive k's and setting that aerobic base like and he went 814 then like that would be cool and that'd be like oh yeah like good for him but like he should probably be not focusing on longer events that much to go an mm-hmm. 814 in yeah. the 800 free. Like, yeah, I think it's fun and cool that he's swimming the 800, but like, you don't want him to be focusing that much because he's got a hundred free gold medal to win, yeah, uh, in six months. So, mm. yeah, I'm sinking that as well. I don't, I don't think he's going to match Ledecky in that one, which is no. No shade to to Mr. Chalmers. Uh, That's just a testament to Katie Ledecky's greatness. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, Mr. Gold Medal Mel put out a gold medal minute last week, documenting Leon Marchand's comeback from injury and or sorry, surgery and illness. He got his wisdom teeth removed. He was sick in November uh, but he seems to be back uh, against Grand Canyon. He threw down a 136 200 freestyle, a 53-0 100 breast, and let off the 400 free relay in 42 3. So, seems like he's fine.
1: 200 free.
0: I'm sorry, What did I did I say 32? Y- you said 36. Oh, 132.6 200 free. Yeah, my bad. Mm. He, he seems fine. Uh, mm. So, He's, he's got um, two dual meets coming up this weekend, one at Stanford, one at Cal the next day after that. Um, again, I'm going to be at those dual meets because it's not every day that we get to see the number one and two men's programs duke it out. Uh, what do you think we're going to see from Mr. Leon Marchand this weekend, Yin Yin? This mm-hmm. isn't a sink or swim. This is a totally crystal mm-hmm. ball we want to know Yinian's insight question.
1: Oh, my, my insight specifically, <laughs> like I Here specifically. Like I'm in, okay, um, I think he's gonna swim the four hundred IM like he did last year, but he has greater reason to do it now because he didn't have the greatest four hundred IM by his standards at mid-seasons because he was sick. So I can see him doing that. Um, I feel like he's been swimming the a hundred breast a lot. I don't know if that means anything but I could see him doing it again just based on trend
0: um, do you do you think he could swim it at NC's <sighs> partly because ASU is so so dominant in the 400 like they have so many other guys in the 4im I mean it would be
1: fun to see him swim the 100 breast I, I don't know if he's gonna risk not swimming his best event but I don't know we'll see um and i could see like a 200 distance event maybe the i am 200 fly something like that i feel like he always swims one of those especially against the good team so we'll see i don't Wait, know hold on
0: hold on picture this leon marchand swims two i am one breast two fly at nc's five nc2a records only got to do that since caleb dressel Wow, that could happen.
1: Wait, Caleb Dressel had five NC NC2E records? Oh, oh, he one, did at one point. Yes. And... Wow, that's insane.
0: Yeah, and two IM. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he definitely
1: I, Yeah, I knew Caleb Dressel had five NC NC2 records. I just couldn't remember if it was all at once or not.
0: It was all at once for like a month because um, oh, he broke the 100 NBA. breast. And then Ian Finerty broke it at NC's, um, but yeah, he did. But dude, I think that could—that's a reality, uh, and I think that's what should happen. I was gonna. So the original question here was, will Leon Marchand break an NC two A record this season at all? And I was gonna sink it because I think because of this um, illness, because of his surgery. And because it's an Olympic year, I think he's he's in as much as he can be for this NC2A season, but his his long term focus is obviously for Paris. And so I thought he would win three titles easily, but he set the bar in those three events so high last season that I thought he would he doesn't need to go best times to to win, right? But if he swims the hundred breast and two hundred fly then he can break nc2a records because because he doesn't already have them in those events and that's my official coleman prediction
1: okay no
0: comment fine no comments <laughs> no comment that's fine that's fine yin yin all right bonus sink bonus sinkers oh, uh northwestern beat u chicago <laughs> with a with a plethora of season bests was this the hashtag Yinyin yin effect? Sink or swim?
1: Well, they—they they beat you, Chicago. They're a D three team.
0: I'm just Which saying. Expected. I'm just saying you're at Northwestern now, and uh, Northwestern swimming swimming well. They went season bests. Sink or swim, yin-yin effect.
1: I think I think this is the Northwestern freshman recruits and the Rachel Stratton Mills effect. I don't I don't think this is a yin-yin effect.
0: Fair enough. <clears throat> we'll say, we'll say hashtag Rachel Stratton Mills effect. Yeah. Hashtag union effect. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll double hashtag this one. All right. Thanks for listening to the swim, swim breakdown, your week's news and swimming. We'll see you next time.